Did you see Mr. Peanut dabbing in the Thanksgiving parade? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. We start today with some breaking news. Maurizio Pochettino has resigned as manager of Tottenham Hotspur and is instead going to work for the British government. After all, he's a man who knows how to get out of Europe quickly. Ouch. (laughs) But if you thought that was the most embarrassing thing to happen to a North London club this week, then you clearly didn't see Aaron Ramsey's antics. Here to talk about all of that and more in a sparse, lightweight pod is Andre Gonzalez. Hello. And this is very special for the second time in one football podcast history. It's Nick McKenna-Klein from Deutsche Welle. I'm a sucker for punishment. That's why you're back. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's good to have you back. Before we get knee-deep into football cliches, a quick plea to the listener, our regular quick plea. Could you please, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and leave plenty of comments to let us know what you think. It would be, as ever, much, much appreciated. Let's kick off proceedings with a Champions League review and what has been described as the wackiest match in Champions League history. I love the word wacky. It's not used often enough, wacky. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Dortmund versus Legia Warsaw. Who saw this? I did. It was well, the better, better man's 2-1, wasn't it, with 8-4? Uh, it's an amazing game, to be honest. Um, just you, you thought after the first half that they would have kind of shored up the defence, but no, it just kept going. It kept going and kept going. Goal in <laughs> Dortmund, goal in Dortmund, goal in Dortmund. It just wouldn't stop. It was... It was Absolutely nuts. Um, but the, I mean, what you can tell from Dortmund is it's starting to take shape. I mean, the summer they they sold Gundogan, Mkhitaryan, and Hummels, three really important players. But they bought nine players for 110 million. It's so slowly but surely, it's t- the, the squad's starting to take shape. And Tuchel's creating his own super team the same way that Klopp did. Um, and of course, on, on Tuesday, the return of Royce. I mean, scoring a hat trick, which of course then became two goals after it was given, you know, um, re-given as a, as a offside. Did they take that away from? They him? took him again yeah. away from him. Yeah, it was an you own goal. You are joking? No, I kid you not. I the kid you meanies not. up at UEFA. Eh? Yeah, but okay. um, the game would have given him a pretty big boost, and I'm glad that they kept him out of the game for so long because his last game for Dortmund was the cup final in May. And he's known as a fragile player who's often, often injured, and he'd never given enough time to come back. Or he comes back, comes back too soon, better said. And this time he's been given six months to really come back 100%. I hope he doesn't get injured because, I mean, that would be a huge dash to his confidence. 185 days. Is it that long? Yeah, 185 days. I counted them all out. <laughs> I guess the biggest positive, not the fact that they look more dangerous with him or the fact that they played a lot better with him in the side, but it's the fact that he did last that 90 minutes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big boost to his confidence. It's also a big boost for the players around him just to know that he is one of the best players in the club and to know that one of the best players seems to be on the mend and seems to be able to make a difference for the rest of the season. What do you think Thomas Tuchel made of the game? It strikes me as the sort of thing that would be the complete opposite of what he would like from a football match. I think once... I'm sure at the beginning when 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 Warsaw scored and it, and the score was it just kept going. I think at the beginning he might have been a bit upset, but by the end of it he was just, I think, just like all the viewers at home, just laughing about how many goals were, were being scored. I think that's just at some point you kind of give up and think, okay, well, whatever, you know, it, as long as we win, I don't really care anymore. One thing I the thing well maybe the thing I enjoyed most about the game I don't know if you saw this Andre was uh, Felix Paslak's uh, celebration. No, I missed that. Did you miss this? I, I miss I missed the match because I was uh, watching some other match at the same time, and uh, I was I was getting the notifications uh, on on the app on One Football. It's a good app, that and, One and Football. I, it's an incredible app. I'd and download I, that if I were you. Yeah, and and I, I was thinking, what am I doing? Why? What is happening? Well, I was I was missing that, but I I, I wasn't able to 
to abandon the match I was watching to to watch Dortmund. Well, maybe we'll talk about that match in in a second or two. Uh, yeah, but I, I missed the, the the celebration. The pass, like so, he scored the seventh goal in the eighty first minute in a game that a side had won probably at halftime. Did you did you see this well? He jumped into Christian Pulisic's arms and waved his fist with great abandon as if he'd scored the winning goal in the World Cup. It was honestly, it was reminiscent of Iniesta's celebration or uh, Goethe's celebration. I love, it was to see, I love to see a player enjoying himself on the pitch. That's that's just beautiful. And you, I, I think we don't see that uh, many times. Sometimes I feel like the, the players are just doing their job and they behave like, okay, this is just another day at the office. And uh, seeing that, it shows that there's a lot of passion. I love passion on, in football. Which is what I hate when people don't, se- when they do that non-celebration celebration. You know, if they go against, if they score against their old club and they do the non-celebration of celebration, the hands go up a bit like that, like they're yeah. apologizing. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. Just celebrate. It's a goal. It's great. It's you're you're one of the few people in the world who has this gift, this ability to score a goal, you know, in front of forty or fifty thousand people. You should be jumping up and down all the uh, time. Against a former team, I can understand a bit because you're trying not to create a beef with the fans. Just that. But yeah, it's a goal. It's a it's the greatest thing in football. So you should celebrate it. I do think it does depend how long you play for the team, though. If you've only been there for like a year, then there's no point in not celebrating. But if you spent your whole career there up until then, then absolutely. I mean, I'd probably do the same thing and be like, okay, sorry guys, I still love you, but you know, yeah. I scored against you. That, um, <laughs> not that I can play football or anything. Speaking of players going back to their former clubs, uh, which and that's the match you watched, Andre. It was exactly. sporting, sporting against Real. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed a bit affected by his homecoming. He was Ronaldo. he was clearly moved by the the whole thing surrounding the match. What did they do for him? I missed this. Uh, it was kind of a homage, like a big thing. Uh, with uh, yeah, it's truly um, like his museum. No, not not that big. Come on, okay. Nothing is uh, as amazing as as the museum, but no. Um, the, the 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 supporters created some kind of uh, uh, warm welcome. And uh, it was it was actually received by the president and the, the old sporting board, and there was an homage to him and the uh, other players from Sporting that won the the Euros in, on, in summer. So it was uh, it was like almost like a celebrating match of something, um, Ronaldo mostly, and uh, he was I think he was kind of uh, affected by by the whole thing because he didn't have a shot on target in the first half. And he did only, uh, he didn't, no, no shot on target, the whole match. Oh, for the whole match? For the whole match, oh, yeah. Okay. I think he, he attempted twice and he missed the goal on the second half. Mm-hmm. On the first half, nothing at all. Uh, I mean, uh, Madrid scored two goals from the only two shots on target, the whole right. match. Um, which uh, is remarkable. It, it, it almost like they, it, it was kind of a, a replay of what they did against uh, Atleti. Because they they're extremely effective, it's unbelievable. Against Atleti, they they had I think five shots on target. They scored three goals, and now against Sporting, two shots on target. They scored twice. It's just amazing. You cannot ask more than that. Uh, well, they did. They did have it a little bit easier that uh, when Sporting went down to ten men. Yeah, it was a stupid, uh, stupid send off. For those who missed out, could you maybe describe what happened? Ah. Uh, I don't really know what happened. I, I <laughs> honestly, I don't know what happened. Um, 
I know that that uh, uh, Jean Breda really wanted the ball to to um, it was a foul. He wanted he wanted to to um, to play it quickly, and Kovacic stole the ball, and they they went both uh, to the corner of the pitch, and then suddenly the referee was showing the red card to Jean Breda. Then in in um, we can see uh, Jean Breda pushing Kovacic with a punch, which is amazing because it did like. He, he threw the punch, but not like a punch, like a pushing with a punch. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And he was sent off. And after that, it was really complicated. Uh, Sporting scored. The, they equalized. And then um, uh, Benzema uh, scored uh, a header, which is uh, amazing because uh, Sporting have been conceding a lot of goals from headers. And, and um, it was one of the keys to the match. In I think it was almost 70% of the aerial duels were won by Madrid, no. and that that shows uh, how how you can lose a match in the Champions League if you if you don't if you don't uh, if you're if you're not good enough on others you're 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 out. Zidane's sort of shaping into a very fine manager, isn't he? Yeah, quite effective, I would say. Uh, I I don't think um, Madrid Madrid performances are really beautiful. They're winning, though. But they are winning, and they are a very, very tough team to beat. I, I, I honestly, I think at the moment they are the best team in Spain, and you, you do not, you don't say that quite often when it comes to Madrid. And they are, um, it's really, it's really hard to play against them because they some, sometimes they, uh, they have no problems closing down and waiting for the the opponent to get the ball, and uh, we, we. With Mourinho, we would see that, but in a very different way, because the team looked sometimes it was kind of afraid of having the ball. But with Zidane, it's different because they close down, but they don't have any problems um, without the, without having the ball. So it it is a tough team to beat, really, really tough. I can see them go uh, really, really far on, on Champions League, and most important, most important, uh, winning the league, which is something that. Real Madrid fans are really here too. Even without Gareth Bale for the next four months or so? Even without Gareth Bale. Okay. Yeah. That's something else when you can go without one of the world's best players for four months and still have a fairly decent chance of winning the league. There's uh, the San Siro curse. Uh, every single player that started uh, in, uh, in the final yeah. experienced some kind of injury since then, except Carvajal. He's the only one who escaped the, the San Siro curse. Well, he must be next. Back to German teams near where the southeastern Ukrainian border meets Russia. Jerome Boateng is still sliding away. He had a shocker. That's, a, that's the second game in a row, though. Second game in a row, though. I mean, against Dortmund yeah. as well. He, it was his mistake that, that allowed Aubameyang to score, in my eyes. So, um, I mean, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge after the game was quite upset with, with Boateng. And, oh, yeah. And I have those quotes. Thank Shall I read them to you? Please do. He's got to calm down, Rummenigge told Sky Deutschland. Since last summer, it's all gotten a bit much. It would be in the interests of him and the club if he came back to earth a little. Stinging attack from club president. Is, on he, is he talking only about football? Like... No, I mean the performance on the pitch. He's talking. Well, he's saying that his performances on the pitch aren't quite up to scratch because of his um, appointments off the pitch. Let's say he's, okay. he's got a, a pretty good friendship with Jay Z. He's also got his own like luxury glasses design shop type thing. So he's busy with his own with his own things. And he's a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to be friends with Jay Z. 
don't know if you're out there, Jay. Yeah. You're listening. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to hang out sometime. Well, after the vote in the US, you might even come to live in Germany, even though. More than welcome. Shoot, shoot him a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's the problem with Boateng. I mean, he's just he's been off his game. But good players tend to be off their games at some point. It just hasn't quite worked out from this season. Um, I don't think it was a good idea from Rummenigge to say what he said. Uh, I think that's something we should be dealt within within the club and not in not in not in the press. But that's buying for you. That's especially Rummenigge and as of tonight, Hunes when he comes back as president, that's just the way things are going to be. I completely agree with you. I think it's so odd that he would call out his one of the star players in public like that. But <clears throat> one of the things that worried me most about Boateng's performance uh, was how he was caught out of position for that goal. Uh, the goal from Sadar Azmoun. He's he's been quite slow this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and only, only uh, it's not the only one because uh, uh, Hummels is only out of shape. Both centre backs they don't look uh, fit, which is weird. It is odd, isn't it? Yeah. Do, do you think Hummels is maybe going? Maybe I should have stayed at Dortmund this no, season. I, I, I picked th- the wrong time to go. I don't think so. No. Uh, oh, no. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the problem with the problem with Boateng is, I mean, if you look back at the Dortmund game from last weekend. Hummels moved out to Götze. Boateng should have moved to Aubameyang. So he moved across the defence, but he didn't. So that's how the, that's how Dortmund scored the goals. So there, that was that was Boateng's mistake. And if you if you look at the Rostov game, he's just slow and he's not going to the tackles the same way he used to. Mm-hmm. So I think in the back of his mind, me Boateng's always be, was injured at the beginning of the season. And I think in the back of his mind, he's like, I'm not quite 100% fit yet and I don't want to get injured again. So he's not going to tackles the same way he used to. He would stop the ball at the halfway line. But now he moves towards the player, then backs off again, allowing the player to head towards goal. And that's how that's how Russell still scored their goals. And that until he sorts that out, that's going to be a huge problem. Maybe they'll replace him with uh, Holger Badstuber. It was nice to see him back, wasn't it? Well, it's always nice to see Holger Badstuber back. The question is, how long is he going to stay healthy? Unfortunately, he's one of these guys who just keeps on getting injured. Mm. He's got a really brittle body. A year? Uh, is it a year since he last played or so? It's about it's, that, isn't it? It's about that. Yeah. Longer, definitely longer than Marco Royce. <laughs> That's that's a bad sign. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things, or one of the interesting stats emerging from this game was that in March 2015, Rostov were rock bottom of the Russian league. November 2016, they're beating Bayern Munich. Well done then. Tell you what, I'll give, you, I'll give, I'll give some Bayern fans some hope. The last time that, that Bayern lost in the Champions League to a, I think it was Bate Borisov in 2012, they went on to win the Champions League. So, you know. Oh, so they're going to do it. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. Just giving the Bayern fans some hope. They are going to finish second in that group, though, which is detrimental to them. It's going to make it a lot tougher. It could be, it could be good. I think if you want to uh, win the Champions League, you need to, to beat the, the best teams. And sometimes it's better to play them uh, on the round of 16 or the quarterfinals than playing on, on the semifinals, for, for instance. One of the teams they certainly won't be playing is Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> yeah. Poor Tottenham. For Tottenham, yeah. yeah, it looks like they are—they are not used to European football in general. Uh, they've been playing in Europa League for the last, I would say, almost ten years. Every once in a while, um, now their experience at Champions League, and I, it looks like they are completely off. Do you think there's that big of a difference though between I Europa can't understand because the, the quality that they would face in the Premier League each week is at least as good as some of the teams that they would be playing in the Champions League. So I can't understand why there would be such a like a, a difference in their Premier League performance as there would be in their Champions League performance. I, I really don't get it. Um, you can argue that it's a problem with motivation, but it shouldn't be. They're playing mm-hmm. in, the, in the Champions League. 
maybe they believe that they they can actually win the Premier League, and they don't believe they can actually win a, a continental competition, and that makes the difference. But uh, well, you think it's a mental thing? Maybe. Maybe. It's definitely a mental thing about Wembley because they they just can't get used to playing there. They had like eighty five thousand people cheering them on, but they just can't get used to it. And that was uh, one of the key things that they lost their both of their home games. They had to won those. They're they're cruising through the group stages. Yeah, it's one thing. The other thing I noticed is there's a, a real lack of depth in that squad, and the creative players aren't aren't quite fulfilling the the uh, the tasks that they need to for Pochettino. True. And I think he's talked already about how much they need to, how much they'll need to invest in the squad if they are to continue to succeed in, the, or to if they are to succeed in the Champions League. Yeah, they need they need some investment in the, in the next transfer window. Yeah, yeah. I'll I mean, be. probably not in January, but summer. Yeah. Any other business anybody would like to talk about in the Champions League? Champions League. I would like to uh, talk a bit about Benfica Besiktas. Oh yeah, the second best comeback. <laughs> It was an amazing comeback. Uh, I, was I had a watching. joke about it. Oh, it you have a joke? about it, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> that was ruined it for me. I was going to say, <laughs> it's the second best comeback in Istanbul since Erdogan returned to denounce the army. That's <laughs> not right. <laughs> Maybe we should have left that one out. <laughs> yeah. It was anyway. pretty, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Um, no, but it was... Tell the story of the game for those It was quite them. exciting. Uh, Benfica started quite well, the match. Uh, controlling what 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 is happening, and uh, they scored uh, in every single shot they made in the first half. So it was like a blessing. The, the in 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 the halftime, uh, I was speaking to a Benfica fan friend of mine, and he told me that uh, we're winning three 0 I I don't know why, but it it has been amazing so far. So let's see if we can cope with the second half. And he was right. The second half was. Uh, completely they were completely destroyed by Besiktas you, you you can spot it on the fans they were they really believed since the, the very beginning of the second half they could win the match i'm not talking about draw i'm talking about winning the match you can spot that on the on the fans you can spot that on on the players they they were really trying hard to to win the match and they were so close so close if i I'm probably another 5 minutes and Besiktas uh would win, would have, would have won the, the match. There was pictures on television, actually, if you watch the, the Besiktas fans, there was, there was a woman who was crying when exactly. she was 3-0 ahead. Then when Besiktas scored, she was, she was happy. She was jumping up and down. Then at the end of the game again, she was crying because they'd drawn the game. It was exactly how that game moved, you know, went along, just crying, happy, crying from joy. Exactly, exactly that. It was amazing. Also amazing was Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> you really want to talk about Ramsey. I just, yeah. What was he thinking? It just looks so stupid. Yeah. I mean, um, Cavani didn't go anywhere near him. You know. Yeah, but... Uh, man up a bit. <laughs> that's, 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 my, that's my, my, my approach to it. Anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> Getting back to the daily grind of league football. There's one game on in tonight in Germany, and that involves Freiburg. And who would have thought this... The Bundesliga leaders, RB Leipzig. Now, a couple of pods ago, we had a brief chat about this, but I wanted to go into more detail. And Nick, you are just the man to help us out with that. So let's start from the beginning. How did they get going? Um, well, Leipzig were a team, they were founded in 2009. Uh, it was, they used to be called SS Falk. 
I have to always look this up because it's a hard name. Mark Randstedt, which is a suburb of Leipzig. Okay. And, and um, Red Bull came in in 2000 and 2009 and said, well, we're going to buy, buy the license for the club. Promised a rumored 100 million budget for the club and uh, changed the crest, changed the kit, changed everything. And the only thing which they didn't get to do was change the name. Uh, the German Football League law states that you can't have the name of a sponsor. I mean, there are some exceptions. Bayer Leverkusen, for example, mm -hmm. but that is because the team was founded for employees of the club back in 1904. So that's it's different. Um, so they had to find an acronym for Red Bull. And that's why they called themselves Rasenballsport, which directly, directly translated to English means Law, lawn ball sports. You think of like balls. You think of think of old pensioners playing mm. that ball game in the park. I've played that game before. It's good fun. You're an old pensioner. Well, <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the club tries to ignore that. Uh, so whenever they do any sort of advertising, they always call themselves the Red Bulls or the Bulls, and they try to ignore the whole Rasenballsport sport thing. Um, but the club itself, the, the, how they got this far is that they had a fixed goal. They always wanted to, to reach the Bundesliga. And uh, they invested in players. They usually invested in players who were slightly better than the rest of the players in the league they happened to find themselves in. So when they were in the fourth division, they bought third division type players. And when they were in third, they bought second division type players. Um, and this sound and solid system within the club, they, they, it just helped them move along. I mean, they had the cash. They never overspent on players. They've always had youth, young players who have who've come through the youth system or and never, never any superstars. I mean, even this summer, their most expensive player was Oliver Burke, a, what is he, 18, 19? 19. Um, 19 year player from, from Nottingham Forest who they paid 15 million for, which is nothing compared to what, let's say, Dortmund and Bayern play for their players. Um, and yeah, the, Leipzig have this really good youth team system. That's what, they, that's what they rely on the most. And they've got these kids who've got real fire in their bellies who really want to succeed. Um, and that's what's, that's what's pushing them forward. I mean, keep in mind, Bayern, I'm saying, sorry. Leipzig, Leipzig have had one player on the pitch this season who's over 30. I mean, these are young, young kids, but they're playing as if they've been together for years and years. And this prep, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a pressing and proactive style, which is working well with these young, energetic kids. And it's that style that's got them to the top of the league. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, <clears throat> sorry. Um, the Leipzig are in a serious hot streak. I mean, they've won the last six games. They're brimming with confidence. They've got great home support as well. Every single game, they've, they've won four, drawn one away from home, and they've won the last three. They could win their fourth tonight against Freiburg. And the fans are really getting behind it. I think the East German fans are happy to have a club from East Germany back in the Bundesliga. It's the first time since Energy Koppus were relegated in 2009, I think it was. First time that Leipzig club's been in the Bundesliga since 1993-ish, give or take. Um... Yeah, so this they're, they're happy to have a club. And the, the way the club's getting forward is their solid defence. I was talking about beforehand. And they've only conceded nine goals so far this season. They've scored 23. That's Nine goals is the third best in the league behind Dortmund and Bayern and equal to Frankfurt. Um, and they've only allowed 94 shots on goal, which is similar to what Bayern have as well. And this, they're playing a high tempo, quick game, which wears opponents down. What Leipzig have also done is they've scored seven goals in the last 15 minutes of game so far this season. That's the league best. And... You know they know how to adapt as well. So if things aren't going their way, they'll bring on a sub. And Leipzig have scored seven goals from substitutes, which is a league best as well. Uh, you know they're young, they're fearless, and their teams are finding it hard to deal with. There's some other incredible stats that go with this. No promoted side has ever gone 11 games unbeaten at the start of a campaign as they have. Uh, best away record in the league. Like we said, they've come from behind a couple of times, so they've obviously got a lot of mental resilience. And my favourite one of all, they're as fit as a fiddle. They're covering an average of 116.4 kilometres per game. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how they're wearing that's the other That's incredible. Yeah. Amongst 11 players, well, because that, that's basically amongst 10 players, because you don't count the keeper. Mm -hmm. 
That's really incredible for them. Stand-up player so far? Is it Forsberg? Absolutely. Um, I mean, he's been... He's the, he's the heart... Leipzig have these counter-attacks which devastate teams, and he's been the heart of them as well. I mean, he's scored five goals. He's got five assists, which is the best in the team so far. Um, another one to look out for is Timo Werner. I mean, he's 20, right? And he's already played 100 Bundesliga games. I mean, we're not talking about second division. We're talking about Bundesliga. Um, he's got five goals and four assists. And another one is uh, Dominic Kaiser, really. He's been the heart of the team since they were in the fourth division. The interesting thing about him is he um, went through the Stuttgart youth system, was bought by Hoffenheim and played after uh, under Ralf Ranić from, I think it was 19, uh, 2099, from 2009 to 2011. Um, and then rejoined Ranić at Leipzig in the fourth division. He's come up with them through the, through, through the leagues and he's really the heart of the team. Kaiser, lording it over everybody. There we go. Um, maybe you could tell us a bit about um, Hasenhoven. Um, Hasenhoven? Sorry. Yeah, the Alpine Klopp. The Alpine Klopp. <laughs> that's because, of course, he runs up and down the sideline in the same way that Klopp does. He's is that, that what his, it is? Yeah, it's okay. the same kind of energetic. That's that's oh. his style. It's similar to, to Klopp. That's why he's been nicknamed that. I mean, Hasenhoven was a, was a striker who never quite reached the top of the game. He was always, I mean, he had, he's Austrian, that's hence Alpine. Uh, played in Austria, played in Belgium, played for Cologne and Greuther Fürth in the second Bundesliga. Um, and towards the end of his career, he was he went to Bayern Munich and played for their second team. He was he was, he was uh, a guy called Hermann Gerland, who's now one of Carlo Ancelotti's assistant coaches. He's he also an uh, assistant coach under Pep. He's been at the club for donkey's years. Um, and he saw the talent that Hasenhutl had at the age of, I think it was 35-ish, and could see that he was a clever player, but also had what it takes to become a coach. And that's exactly what happened. He went on to coach Unterhaching, which is a um, local Munich club. They used to be in the Bundesliga as well. And what he's done is every time he goes to a club, he saves them from relegation in their first season, and then usually gets them promoted in the second. <laughs> happened at Unterhaching, happened at his next team, Arlen, and happened, of course, at Ingolstadt. They were bottom of the second Bundesliga in 2013. Um, he joined the club, they were promoted at the end of 2014 and last season in the Bundesliga they were absolutely amazing for a promoted team. They, they had a strong defence, they only conceded 42 goals, um, which is one of the league's best actually. The only thing they couldn't do was score. So they won only 10 games but they drew 10. So they never were any... They're never, never going to be relegated of course with the likes of let's say Bremen, Hanover and Stuttgart last season there was other teams who were in deeper trouble. But uh, yeah, Hasenhüttl is... He he knows how to set his teams up. He he knows how to build a strong defense, as we saw last season in Ingolstadt. But what he can, what he also does is when he has the players, which he now has at Leipzig, he can he's got he's got he's got an, an attack which can absolutely decimate defenses. My favorite story about him is that before the game, he makes everybody stand in a circle, close their eyes, and listen to a speech. It's <laughs> nice, isn't it? Have you seen that? He the, the players are all smiling. You can tell that the players really enjoy working under Hasenhüttl. They, they take him seriously. I mean, I think a lot of us would, if we were if we were told to stand in a circle on a pitch, we'd think, what's he telling us to do, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they, they buy his mantra. They, they, know what he, they, know, they know what he wants. They're happy to do it and they're really enjoying it. And that's probably the reason why they're doing so well in the league because they they're all on one level. How far can they go? They're top of the league now. Um, I think that Bayern eventually will probably come back as will Dortmund. I think, Put it this way, I think Leipzig can be happy if they finish in the European places, anywhere in the European places, and that would be a that would be pretty huge. I think they came into the season just being, I think top of the table would have been nice, as in top half of the table. But I think they can go pretty far. I, mean, I would not be surprised if we saw them on, maybe in the Champions League next season. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I can see that happening, to be honest. The key question, of course, is not 
Well, I guess it is how far can they go, but it's also how happy are are you guys with Leipzig? Because I know other fans of German clubs are not happy. For example, yeah. Leverkusen fans threw paint at the Leipzig bus. The Dortmund Ultras, of course, boy, boycotted the game. There was a march in Hamburg against them and a bull's head was thrown from the stands at Dresden. So a lot of people are not happy with them. I kind of like that they're poking German traditionalists in the eye. But I, I think I might be I might be alone in that one. Dre? Yeah, I I got nothing against them to be honest. I, they have a very good project. They know what what they are doing. They're not poaching superstars. They're uh, trying to find uh, good kids, kids with potential, and trying to make them uh, superstars. So I I think they're doing uh, things like everyone should do. I mean, not everyone has. Um, Red Bull and the money behind Red Bull with them, but the project is quite quite in- interesting to be honest. And come on, we're talking about Germany. We're talking about companies putting money into football. There's a lot of company. There are a lot of companies putting money into football in Germany. You have uh, Mercedes Benz uh, in Stuttgart. You have a buyer with Leverkusen. Wolfsburg. We have uh, Volkswagen with uh, Wolfsburg. You have also uh, Adidas and uh, BMW. They put a lot of money into uh, Bayern back Audi. in the days. Audi, is Audi, now, Audi's now the side yeah. of Bayern. Yeah. Mm. So it's 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 not actually a new thing for for German football. So I really don't get why are so they are they are so upset. They, they say that they are buying success, but I don't agree with that. I think I mean there's there's a there's a there's a reason why German fans aren't happy with the way things are developing. And that's uh, in Germany, you've got a, this 50 plus one rule that um, sp- sponsors or investors can't take control of a club um, or can't take more than 49.9% control in the club because the fans or members of the club are supposed to be able to decide what's going on, which is, let's say the case in Dortmund, for example, if anybody comes in, the fans, I think it's, it's 135 members that Dortmund has. If they want to change, if, if let's say a new investor comes in, wants to change ticket prices, then those 135,000 investors have to say, okay, well, you can do it. And that doesn't happen. It hasn't happened at Leipzig. They kind of circumvented the whole, the, the whole 50 plus one rule. They had to, in order to join the first, the Bundesliga, they had to somehow find a structure in order to make it look like they had the 50 plus one rule. So they, they, Leipzig has members and they pay upward of 1,000 euros a season to be a member of Leipzig. But the people who actually get to make decisions, there's only 17 of them and they're all employees or associates of Red Bull. So the fans actually have no way of deciding where the, where the club is going and fans from other clubs don't like that happening in football but let's be perfectly honest football's just it's that's the way football's going we can't we can't get you know stick to the way things were done in the past and people can say what they want about Bayern or Dortmund it's all about marketing they've been they've been making money they make money across the globe and clubs cannot get upset about a club like Leipzig who are making the Bundesliga entertaining again for the first time in four years there's a different club at the top of the table that isn't called Dortmund and or Bayern. Yeah. And, you know, it's a fine, or even, I mean, it's not just Leipzig either, places, a team like Hoffenheim in the Champions League places, it's finally making the Bundesliga entertaining. And you, you go into a match day weekend thinking, hey, you could have a different team at the top of the league. And that's yeah. fantastic for the Bundesliga. So in my opinion, I think the fans should keep in the, the, the And the whole uh, 50 plus one rule, I think it, it might be a problem for Leipzig fans. Not for the rest of the of the people that love football in Germany. Yeah, keep your nose out of there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
download OneFootball, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, Chelsea go into the weekend's round of Premier League fixtures, top of the table. Here to talk about that and their rise to the top is Jamie Wilkinson from Chelsea News. Jamie, a few weeks ago, there were rumours of Conte getting the sack now aside our top of the league and he has the Manager of the Month award on his mantelpiece at home. It must feel good to be a Chelsea fan right about now. It does, yeah. Um, I mean, in my opinion, those rumours about Conte's future, they were completely unfounded. But under Roman Abramovich, ultimately, you never know. Um, but it does feel good at the moment. There is absolutely no threat to his job uh, right now. And hopefully we can just push on from this good run of form. Um, over the last six games, it's been six wins, six clean sheets, 17 goals scored and none conceded. Is that just down to the shift to 3-5-2 or are there other factors at play here? Well, I think switching to three at the back has definitely played its part. Uh, it can be no coincidence since we have changed it. We've, we've had such a successful run of form. Um, but David Luiz has been quietly brilliant. I don't think he's got um, much media attention, but since his return here, he, he's, he's scarcely put a foot wrong other than perhaps the Arsenal game. Um, obviously, Colo Kante as well. Uh, he's one of the most accomplished midfielders we've we've had in recent times, probably the best in his position we've had since Claude McAuley. Um Him providing that shield to the defence combined with the, the exploits of our attackers has um, created quite a deadly formula. It must be a bit infuriating that um, Louise only gets the headlines when he does his uh, sideshow Bob thing and not his, not his yeah. brilliant thing. Yeah, but um, ultimately that is the reality with David Louise. It's, it's not just the English media. When he was playing for Paris Saint-Germain as well, he was picked on by the French media. The Brazilian media have um, during his poor performances at the World Cup. Um but yeah, he, he's a, a, a top defender. He's unique. I feel like he should get more credit for what he does. Um, what's one of the more remarkable aspects of, of Conte's managerial stint so far is how he's really rejuvenated um, certain players like Hazard, Costa. They're you know, two of the more obvious ones. But also the likes of Moses and, and Pedro. That's really been one of the, the successful points of his reign so far. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Pedro, uh, I'm not going to claim to be his biggest fan because I'm not. I thought he had a, a pretty poor campaign last season. Um, but this year, I, I think Conte has played him to his strengths. He's been given less defensive responsibilities. He was under Mourinho. And his, his rollout on the right wing is kind of mirroring um, where he was fielded at Barcelona, hence his good form. Um, Victor Moses' performances have actually been less of a surprise to me. Uh, the past two pre-seasons, he has been our best player. Uh, obviously, last year, he wasn't trusted by Mourinho. He was shipped out on loan to West Ham. But this year, Conte has placed quite a lot of faith in him and it's, it's paying off. You, you're not worried that uh, Barcelona are going to pinch him as per the rumours today? <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't bet, bet on it, to be honest with you. Um, but he seems happy here. We're happy with him. So, it's all good. Um, speaking of the, the Chelsea defence, what does the future hold for John Terry now? Is this going to be? Is this season going to be the end of him? We, we sort of thought we'd seen the end of it last season and we know he doesn't quite fit into it, into that formation. So is this it? Well, that's the thing. When, whenever we keep thinking it's the end for Terry, he keeps pushing forward. He keeps putting in good performances. But I do think that now this is the end. He's been out early this season with an ankle injury and uh, news has recently broke that he's, he's got a fresh muscular injury. Um, if he keeps picking up uh, this sort of injuries, it, it kind of disrupts his his form, his ability to get back into the side. And th- there's no way he's breaking into the back three at the moment with how we've been defending. Um, we've got Andreas Christensen 
back from loan in the summer. We've got Kurt Zuma coming back from his ACL injury. Um, I do feel like after all these years, after all these doubts, this could finally be the end for Terry, unfortunately. Jamie, this is Nick. Uh, I've got a question for you. I mean, this is the same formation that Chelsea had under Villas-Boas. Why is it working for Conte? Well, um, I, don't, I don't think it, it takes a genius to see that Antonio Conte is a more experienced and a more tactically astute manager than Villas-Boas. I think Villas-Boas came in and was very naive. He upset the... Um, the, the contentment of the dressing room. He he had pretty influential players like Drogba, Lampard, Terry turn against him, whereas Conte has stepped in. And as well as implementing a new system, he's kept morale high. All the players seem on board. It looks as though Courtois and Costa, who were previously once away, are going to sign new contracts. And I think that uh, speaks volumes about just how Conte has improved the, the overall feeling in the dressing room. Uh, onto the game against Spurs. Conte's not going to change anything for the game, is he? I mean, it must be the team must be set in stone, right? Well, it, it would seem strange to to change anything after the recent six games. Uh, it goes back to the old cliche: if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, there's certainly nothing broken in the team at the moment, so I would be very surprised if we saw any difference to the, the team that beat Middlesbrough. Is there any is there any player that you're worried about that could maybe do damage to that to that run of form? Kane's the obvious one, but beyond that, is there anybody else? Yeah, I mean Kane is the obvious one, but he's not the sole Tottenham threat. And um, Eric Lamella and Young Min Son from the wings, obviously Son uh, has actually had you know his his start to the season. It's been the best performances he's he's put in in a Spurs show. He seems to have finally taken to life in England. And um, also Musa Dembele is a player that you know he he doesn't get a lot of attention. But his strength, his resistance to pressure, carrying the ball forward, going to make for one hell of a midfield battle. Matic and Kante, in a sense, have had it easily, easy in, in, in the past few games. Um, they've dominated the midfield. But coming up against Dembele, coming up against Victor, Victor uh, Wanyama, or if it's Eric Dyer in midfield, it's going to be a midfield battle that is certainly going to be one to watch and it could hold the keys for whoever is going to win the game ultimately. OK, quick prediction, Jamie, before we let you go. Um, Hart says 3-0 Chelsea Head says We'll probably Scrape it 2-1 That was Jamie Wilkinson From Chelsea News I have a theory About David Luiz Which I may have have Stolen from somewhere else Okay If he didn't have That hair Just had normal hair Yeah People would think He's a better defender (laughs) I don't know if it's there was a, there, was, there was a time uh, he didn't have that that hair what? and he, he committed mistakes also he made some mistakes when he was playing uh, in Portugal I think it stands out more though definitely his mistakes stand out more of course uh, if you have uh, such a amazing and lovely hair like that <laughs> uh, people will notice you more so yeah I you, liked, you might have a point on that one I like David Luiz I you know, I, I don't follow him on Instagram, but I've seen some other things. He just seems like a cool dude. He he's, he's, like a uh, I, th- I think he's a, he's a nice guy. Uh, but as if I if I was managing a team, yeah. I would rather pick some other centre back to play for me. I wouldn't pick him ahead of John Terry. Oh, definitely not. But, but John Terry, he, he cannot play on a, a three uh, centre back system. So I, I think John Terry is done, to be honest. Uh, but. He makes a lot of mistakes because, because most most of the time uh, because he's uh, 
is Confidente's way better than he actually is. Uh, and then you you made you make mistakes if, if you think like that. Yeah. Did you want to give a prediction for the game, either of you? I think it's going to be. I think they they'll go on, going to draw. I think that Jamie's right. Probably be close to one. Okay, let's give Danny Israf a call. He's out having brunch, and I want to know what he's having for brunch. <laughs> okay. Monday evening saw the end of Jurgen Klinsmann's reign as head coach of USA. Uh, we couldn't cajole Danny Isroff to come into the studio today, but we have been able to interrupt his brunch to talk to him about this. Danny, the big question first, what are you having for brunch? We want to know. Uh, pancakes, obviously. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in America. You're in America now? Yeah. Yeah. And you're having pancakes? Are you, You're back home? I am, yes. Oh, having, uh, having yeah. well... The 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 Klinsman news, uh, you know, I had to rush home and see what see what, what was what was happening. It was he's our, our reporter on site. You're our reporter on this is this yeah. is really exciting. We've never had a reporter on site before. Well, no, it's a first. It is We're a getting first. More professional. A, a one yeah. football first. Well, what type of what did you have on your pancakes? No, I haven't had them yet. They're they're, they're on their way. They're they're being delayed by uh, by this very important uh, phone call. Is your mom cooking them? I think it's going to be my sister. Okay. Does your mum listen yeah. to Shania Twain when she's cooking? Like she does when she's running? No, no, no. Only when she's running. Oh, it's only when she's running. running. Okay, let's get let's yeah. get to the let's get to the topic at hand. Did um did Klinsman deserve to go or did America or did uh did the US push the panic button too early? So a couple of things. I think uh first of all he was in charge for five years and he's been through a couple of periods where, where he's been under real pressure. So I don't think anyone would, would tell you it's too early. Uh, I think a lot of people would say this this actually should have happened years ago um did he deserve to go i, I think he, regardless of what you think of him the, the the time was sort of right for a change i think he'd taken the, the the program as far as he could um and uh and there really you know wasn't much left for him to do uh will they end up regretting this is an interesting question i think you know it's possible but it, but the the fundament it sort of ignores the fundamental uh, uh, problem here, which is that uh, the success of the, the the national team in America is not dependent on the coach, and, and it never has been. It has everything to do with the with the players, uh, and uh, and with the expectations, which which uh, as you guys know, the the profile of the game has been. Uh, has been growing tremendously, and and as that's been happening, so of expectations. So there's this sort of um, dichotomy where where people expect the American team to be really good, and the players uh, simply aren't there. Uh, and so I think what you'll see with Bruce Arena is a similar situation where uh, eventually that catches up, and um, and the manager is, is blamed. Is there any suggestion at all that in wanting to make America great again, the USSF want an American in charge and that Klinsman's nationality doesn't quite fit? Well, if you're, um, if you're trying to suggest that the election of uh, he who must not be named has anything to do with, um, uh, with, with, with Klinsman's departure and, and the rehiring of Bruce Arena, I would say no, um, absolutely not. The, the president of, of US soccer who made the decisions to Neil Gavadi is a an immigrant, and that's just not the, uh, the the way that the game works in this country. That said, I think a lot of the, not a lot, but but a, a fair amount of the criticism that uh, Klinsman received sort of throughout his time and, and some of his 
uh, treatment by fans and and the media had an element of 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 sort of xenophobia. Um, there's actually an interesting. I went to the dentist the other day here in New York, and uh, my, my dentist was telling me as he was um, as he was putting you know uh, needles into my teeth that uh, that he believes a foreign coach could just never work out with the American team that that a foreigner could never sort of understand the, the culture of the game in this country and that it's different. And, um, and I, I think that views a bit of a nonsense, but you see kind of what a, a foreign coach is up against and especially Klinsman who brought in um, so many, so many foreign born players. So I think that could have contributed over time uh, sort of to his demise. Well, Abby Wambach, who's scored a fair few goals for the U S also had to say that, um, Klinsman should be fired and blasted him for bringing in a bunch of these foreign guys. That's, that's a quote from her, a bunch of these foreign guys. Right, no, correct. And, and Bruce Arena, who you know, is, is a, has become the next coach, uh, made similar comments a few years ago. So it's really, it's a pervasive view, I think, throughout the, throughout the scene. Um, Bruce Arena, of course, is a, a man and not a stadium. Um, are you happy enough with that appointment? He, he is a man. He's uh, he's coached in many stadiums, but but he's not an arena himself. Um, uh, do I personally think it's a good decision? No, I think it's a uh, it, it's a big step backwards in lots of ways. Um, uh, again, I want to go back to the to the players, and I think I can tell you now exactly how how Bruce Arena is going to do because it's exactly how Jurgen Klinsmann did, exactly how Bob Bradley did before him, and exactly how how Bruce Arena did the first time, which is that he's going to get some great results. Uh, he's going to get some very poor results. He'll overachieve in places. Uh, as a whole, the, the the program will probably improve, but not to the to to the you know to the level where they're competing consistently with the the, the best countries in the world and have a real identity because the the, the players just aren't there. Um, and I can't emphasize that point enough. The 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 American players just aren't good enough yet to compete with uh, with, with the top countries in the world. Um, so I think Arena is kind of a safe choice. I mean, I'm sure you guys are aware of the situation. They've lost two games in in, in the stage of World Cup qualifying and are in a bit of a quagmire. So Arena knows the uh, he knows the system. He's been there before. He knows the landscape uh, in this country, and they they think he can go and sort of um, get that the the World Cup qualifying uh, bid back on track. If I can say one last thing, I, I would say that the only kind of coach at this point at, at this stage in the in the development of the the sport in this country who would have really been able to make make some sort of a a, a dent um and make a difference would be someone with like a real uh sort of tactical pedigree um someone like andre viash comes to mind who's who's now wasting away in china uh someone who would have been come in who, who would have been able to come in and and uh, br- bring an innovative approach and, and really raise the, the the sort of tactical level of the team, um, but that that was uh, that was just never going to happen. Oh, Danny, Andre here, a long time um, fan of your work. Um, it, it really <laughs> it really uh, sounds like the timing for um, Klisman to uh, be sacked is the worst the worst ever. Uh, I mean. After the Copa America Centenario, it would be a perfect moment to start a new project. Why? Why now? Why now? I think 
the the fact that he did quite well in the in the Copa America, they they made the semi-finals, which for me was a spectacular overachievement, and, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that kind of stuff. Uh, the fact that he, the the problem is whenever he's been in trouble, Klinsman, whenever he's got bad results, uh, and and got a, got you know the the team in a bit of a tricky position, he's come back and managed to get good results after that. So he's he's sort of uh, fought through all these these. Uh, the, these tough times, I, I think as much as anything, I mean, there, there were two bad results in, in uh, against Mexico and, and Costa Rica, uh, but I think as much as anything, it was sort of um, the, the the divisive way that he's dealt with um, w- with the federation, and and he's not widely popular, I would say, among fans, and that that contributed as well. So in a way. Uh, I think they they were maybe looking for for a time to fire him, and these two uh, latest results are just kind of the straw that that broke the camel's back in that way. Well, that was Danny Eisroff, our roving reporter in the streets of America, eating his pancakes, celebrating. It's Thanksgiving, is it? Or was it, it was, yeah, yesterday? yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Did you see Mister Peanut Dabbing? In the Thanksgiving parade, <laughs> I saw that, and I'm still trying to recover from that. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Um, Nick, you had something to say about Jurgen? I think it's interesting because when he was in charge of uh, Germany, Klinsmann's more of a motivator, right? He's I don't, I don't he's never quite proved himself as a, as a coach. He was awful at Bayern, and means and then went to the U, to the US. He always has a coach, someone who, who's a tactician who knows how to deal with the players in the shadows and that was Yogi Love and that's I mean I think that might be that might have been what was missing in the States the winning coach of the States and uh, yeah I mean I'm still not sure if he's I'm not sure if he was ever the right man and especially if they've got such a problem with players they need someone who can teach them how to play the game and that's not he's not the one to do it okay that's all from us today. My thanks to Andre, Nick, Danny, Jamie and our producer Damon. As ever, if you've anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on Facebook at OneFootball or you can get onto iTunes and give us the three-star rating we barely deserve. Thanks for listening. I-